Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs, your hobby content alternative. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. You already know that. It's Friday, and you know what that means. I got my man Chris from Card Ladder Team on the podcast. The genesis and the catalyst of this conversation started with an exchange in DMs, and we were talking about a collecting topic, buying players that aren't necessarily the hobby heartthrob. And what do we do when those players face adversity? We cover that. We cover a lot of other hobby topics that I think are going to be interesting to you. If you like what I'm doing over here, tell a damn friend about Stacking Slabs already, would you? I appreciate your support. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Let's kick it to it. What is up? Everyone, welcome back to the show. I am uh, pumped to have another conversation with Chris from the Card Ladder team. Uh, there is a lot of ground that I want to cover in this one, and we're going to try to keep it tight. Uh, I think, you know, if you've listened to any of our previous episodes, we can go Broadway and go forever. And we, there's just a lot of passion and a lot to talk about. Um, but this conversation really started. Um, when I, Chris and I were sharing some DMs and uh, there was a topic that came up and it was just about uh, collecting and collecting players who are not necessarily the ones who are hitting everyone's Instagram feeds regularly um, and players that might be we have connections with and those connections exist and are very strong. And then what happens when that player gets hurt? What happens when that player has a bad game. And I think I want to get into that and want to dig in deep and talk about that topic along with several others. But uh, without further ado, Chris, how's it going, man? How are you? Going well, thank you. Also, congratulate you off there. Let me congratulate you on the air, on the newest addition to your family. The hobby's favorite child was recently <laughs> born. So congrats on that, man. Can you, can you just, I'm sure, I know you've talked to the audience about it a little bit, but just just maybe one more time, man. How how is life for you right now? Are you going to still be able to put out stacking slabs? Are you still going to be able to put out the Instagram content with as much regularity? Yeah. So I think uh, appreciate you asking. And but I I sit when I I was trying to think about I, it had been such a part of the show talking about like the preparation uh, of having a, a, a first child in the family and got, got reached out to by so many incredible moms and dads in the hobby. And it was just special as a buildup. So I felt like when baby, uh, baby Joe Jolene was born, I felt like I owed it to the hobby in a way just to say, ta-da, here she is. And overwhelmed by the response of that post and just all the messages that I had uh, regarding it. And, you know, I was telling you off air that, you know, for me, when she came, she came a week early and um, I thought I had it all figured out, which I'm learning. I'll probably never have it all figured out. I, I can't plan for a child. We're all learning. Um, but for me, it was like, okay, like it's easy. I got, I let, let me, let me try to remove myself from work. And I thought it was going to be a challenge, but once, you know, I have, a, a, I have had a child, there's more important things, but then it's like sports cards and car, sports card content and all these things that I've been doing for almost the past two years. Like, what do I do? And, you know, I had a conversation with my wife and she's like, this is like your passion and like, this is your escape. And like, you know, we all need escape. So like, you know, dedicate some time here and there just to get away. We all need to get away and I'm going to need to do my thing for a little bit so you can take care of the kids. So I think that's cool. We have that understanding. So I'm, I'm going to be trying to keep as regular of a schedule as I possibly can. And hopefully uh, we, I can continue to bring conversations like this one to the hobby on a consistent basis like I had before. Oh, I love to hear it. Love to hear it, man. I also said uh, off air, but I think other, you know, I, I'm not a parent, so I can't really relate to it. But I can tell you when other aspects of my life get better, you know, especially before I was a professional full-time in the hobby, you know, if something else in my life was going well, it, it made me enjoy the hobby more too. And when um, other parts of my life, you know, became more complicated or more involved, 
it increased the value that the hobby had to me is the total opposite. The hobby is not complicated. It's simple. It's fun. We're consuming collectibles that we like. We're talking to each other about sports. It's really is as basic as it gets or, or it can be, you know, if you want to keep it that way. So, you know, I'm, I'm just excited for you, man. New chapter. Congratulations. Appreciate that and uh, agree with your remarks there. And maybe uh, we'll start here in segue. Uh, I think there's a segue. And, uh, you know, you had an interview on uh, Saturday night with uh, Nat Turner. And there was, you know, he talked about the experience of taking his child to the local LCS. Um, and that was, you know, you, you didn't really like prompt him for that. That just became like this guy, you know, the CEO of, you know, Collectors Universe. He is one of the greatest, if not the greatest collectors we have in the hobby. He, when I'm listening to this conversation, you could not know anything about this guy's background. And the first, all I could think about is like, man, this guy's not only a passionate collector, but obviously he has a desire to introduce the hobby to his child in a way that's really natural. And it's a way that we grew up with going to shows, going to cards. And I thought like, there's a lot of takeaways. And I'm going to get into a few of them, but like that was one takeaway from, from your conversation. I was like, man, this is just normal. Like this is what dads do. They take their kids to shows and they, they introduce them to their local LCS. Totally. And uh, I, I know I sidetracked this a little bit, but let, let's let us, if we have time, circle back to the, the, our uh, discussion about the football uh, collections that we've been building that you alluded to earlier, but yeah, this is a great segue. And, you know, that Matt's comment there was prompted by a question from Jordan Hagedorn in the chat. Uh, Jordan is a collector, founder of the For the Hobby um, movement and Instagram page. And he's also an NFL agent, really smart guy. And he was asking Nat about the importance of local car shops. And Nat talked about, you know, those are so, so I'm going to tie that into something else Nat said, because Nat also said during our discussion that he remembers like the experiences of meeting with people and acquiring cards, he remembers those almost more fondly or more vividly than the cards that were part of those deals themselves. The experience of, of going to the airport to make the deal or the Starbucks or wherever was, was uh, the most memorable part of his hobby experience. And you can't have that experience without getting the cards. I'm not saying that he was saying or that I would say that the experience is more important than the card but the experience is more memorable because of what it signifies and how, how valuable it is. And same thing with going to the local card shop. You know, it's, it's, there is something a little bit extra special about the whole experience, about the, there's the mood, the vibes that you get when you're in the card store. It's just not like anywhere else. It's not like walking into lids in a shopping mall, for example, it's not, it's not like walking into borders or a bookstore, Barnes and Noble. It's, it's its own eclectic, you know, it's just got its own feel to it. And, you know, as soon as you walk into a card shop, you know, you're in a card shop and, and it's just, a, it's an escape. And so, yeah, he, he, the way he talked about visiting that shop and the way that it gave him a very unique activity to do with his kid, you know, I, I think it speaks volumes about how important the hobby shop is. You know, when I got back into the hobby five and a half years ago, being able to go to the hobby shop was a very important bridge that carried me from total ignorance back into remembering and rekindling, you know, why I liked sports cards and, and so many things about sports cards, just the LCS, man. It's just, it's a very important part of this, this community. So you, you take what you just said there and you take what Nat just said in your interview and then you contrast that with what Michael Rubin said about the hobby experience being brutal. Um, what I hear from Nat, who's a very important uh, contributor, if not the most important contributor to the hobby, alongside what you've said, alongside how I feel and what, how I've spoken out about his comments, like how, how do you, there's a little yin and yang there between what Michael is saying and what fanatics is trying to do and how you, me, Nat, and I would imagine a majority of the listeners uh, in, in listening to this conversation feel like, what's, what's the breaking point there? Like, how do you react to those two sides? Yeah, there is a middle path there. The, the Henry Kissinger take the middle path approach. It exists here. And it's that, and I think Nat kind of alluded to it when he said, you know, because cards are 
um, in the minds of many people involved in the industry, uh, an asset class. There are certain tools and functionalities that the industry should offer to people who are viewing them as an asset class. One of the things that Nat talked about was, you know, having high levels of liquidity. And I think like Ruben was maybe just taking the concept of cards as an asset class to an extreme, um, talking about how, look, you know, we can actually remove so much friction that exists in the marketplace right now and, and streamline a lot of it. Uh, and I think Nat was more painting the middle path. Like, look, we have to preserve the things that actually make collecting fun and enjoyable. We can't, you know, my own editorializing on that would be, we can't forget what got the hobby to this point. We can't erase its foundations uh, and those foundations being, you know, built on in sports fandom, enjoyment of collecting, legacy brands, traditions. Like we can't just wipe those away and say, okay, now, you know, we're basically just going to create this, this, uh, a literal stock market of sports cards because that takes away too many of the fun elements, the handling, the owning of the cards, the possessing of the cards, the going, the, the physical experiences of going to the card shops and so forth. So I think, but, but Nat is right though, that there, that there is a, a, a lane and a need for increased informational opportunities, like, which is what we try to do with card ladder. There is a lane needed for, you know, increasing the, the the liquidity of items, which is what auction houses like PWCC and Golden do when they offer you advances and offer you vaulting services and so on. So, like, there is a middle path. We are approaching it. But I don't think, you know, I, I made a poll after Ruben's comments. I said, like, how many of you agree that the hobby experience is brutal? And if I remember correctly, I think about 20% of the respondents ended up saying they agreed it was brutal. In eighty percent, do not. I mean, I I don't. But you know, con context matters here. And Ruben was talking to you know the boardroom uh, when he was making the pitch for why fanatics should be valued at over ten billion dollars. And yeah, you know, so that that context matters. But but no, I I think brutal was was taking it too far. That was that was too extreme. And uh, no, we're we're we we can increase some levels of. Uh, of efficiency, but, but we don't want to take away what makes this thing fun in the first place. Yeah. And, and we're going to move off this topic, but before we do, and I think context does matter, but, um, is, is there, is, is Michael naive to think, and I know you can't speak for him, but the, yes, he's speaking to a, the boardroom and he's speaking to investors, but on a platform, like we in the hobby, like are hanging on every word he's saying, right? We, 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 we don't care that it's on CNBC. We're, we're trusting this. We're, we're, we're trying to trust this individual. And honestly, we don't have any control over it, but, but we, it, we're trying to, if I'm him, I'm trying to build trust with us. So like, I think the rub I had, that was uh, maybe a little uh, rub me the wrong way a little bit was, yes, I understand like who he's talking to, but have some consideration for the people who are going to be the ones who are going, you're going to need in order to hit your KPIs, hit those metrics that you're going to report on. And I just, I thought it lacked consideration for the most important individual. And that's the collector who's been keeping the hobby running for the, since the beginning of time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting tactic to come out of the gates on a public setting and say, you guys have been doing it all wrong <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm coming in and fixing this whole thing. You know, I, I know that's not what he meant to say. Right. What he meant to say was like, I've got a lot of innovations that are going to make this thing a lot better. So I think you're right. I, and look, you know, I, one of the other polls I said, I, I said, uh, what's your, are you, you know, optimistic or pessimistic about fanatics in light of and fanatics takeover of the hobby in light of this, these six minutes that, uh, Michael Rubin spent on cable TV. And I think the poll was like 75% pessimistic. And I, I said to myself, if I had run this poll 24 hours earlier before this six minute appearance, it probably would have been 95% optimistic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, it, it was, it, so opinions can change, you know, uh, over, over, over just a few pieces of information leaking out in both ways, you know? So if Rubin were to, you know, put together a presentation 
a, a TED talk style thing, or I'm not advocating this. I'm just imagining if you were to put together a video, you know, and he said, look, here's what we love about the hobby. Here's the ways we can make it better for you. Here's our plans for how to respect and treat the institutions that already exist in the hobby. Here's why, you know, we, we want to do what we want to do. I, I think it would be very persuasive and he could easily look, people are so excited about the market expansion possibility that fanatics brings that it's almost takes next to nothing to get people on board. Um, just, just, just show people the vision. I have no doubt that they will. And I want to throw in one note here because this was a point that was made by one of the great hobbyists. Um, I don't know if I can put his name on it, but I'm going to give, I'm just going to say that a great hobbyist said this and I thought it was very smart. He said, one of the, here's the biggest risk with fanatics. If fanatics turns the hobby into a bureaucracy in which card shops are branches of fanatics and they're run by, you know, middle managers and then uh, minimum wage employees. If you, if you do that, and so every facet of the hobby becomes just kind of like a branch of the fanatics bureaucracy, what happens is you remove the entrepreneurial incentive that has given rise to everything from literally the concept of breaking, going all the way back to that in the, in the late 2000s and the early 2010s. It gave rise before that to Beckett and price guides. You know, the, the fact that there's always been this space for entrepreneurs to put some skin in the game has aligned the interests of entrepreneurs with the interests of expanding the hobby. They've been lined up. So whether it was Breakers or Dr. James Beckett publishing a price guide or PSA, the grading company coming on the scene and SGC coming on the scene and all these proprietors and owners of local card shops and then Corey from Show Your Slabs and, and John from Slab Shelf. And all these guys who are making these businesses and, and bulk submission groups, like all these organically arising businesses that have come to surround and, and populate the hobby ecosystem, it's all being propelled forward. Everybody in that group, in these different groups, has an interest to grow the hobby because they have skin in the game. And if that pie gets bigger, their pie gets bigger. The auction houses, Golden, PWCC. Heritage, everybody, they all, all the incentives are lined up nicely to, in, to, for these entrepreneurs to grow the hobby pie. If you take that away, right, and you just say, okay, we're going to do away with the current structure of things and we're going to streamline and Fanatics is going to do marketplace, Fanatics is going to do grading, Fanatics is going to do breaking, Fanatics is going to do the local card shops, and it's all going to be under this neat brand. There's a huge risk that it removes the incentives that have inspired and motivated all these entrepreneurs to push the envelope and to grow this business, because not only does it help the business, but it also helps them. The incentives are aligned. If you take that away, it's a big risk of this thing turning into a big bureaucratic bubble. And I thought that was a remarkable point that that guy made. And I wanted to give it voice on a big platform, such as Stacking Slabs. I love it. And I, I couldn't agree more. And um, I think this is a, this, that, take i've i've seen happen in other industries and i don't want to belabor it here what i do think is important that people continue to have these types of conversations outside of these uh these these uh appearances on these mainstream platforms and collectors like collectors have the voice continue to voice uh, takes and perspectives like that so it can just get the conversation going because the more people who are passionate who are entrepreneurs, who are collectors, um, who are talking about these things, I think it'll give us all the ability to help provide some sort of voice or some sort of influence on, yeah, we know you're in control and we know you're going to make these decisions, but this is how we feel. So that would be my just kind of closing out on this topic. That would be my uh, remark. But I, I love that perspective from the smart, unknown, anonymous hobbyist who, who shared that. Um, let's jump into the the topic at hand. Um, before we do, I'm gonna I've a little uh, primer for it. I, I think this will help lead into uh, the players and in, in the collecting portion of it. But I've heard you and Josh talk a lot about this recently, and I think it's a topic that you might not even know you're really talking about, but I think about a lot. And it's you, we we player a lot of us player collect, and a lot of our player collection is really reliant on our, the entry point of when we were able to start collecting that player. 
And for, for many, I would say for, for you and some of the, the Jordan inserts that you got into, and certainly Luca, um, and for Josh, certainly LeBron, like you, you were, you had this connection with these players and you believed in uh, the industry and cards that you put your money on the line because you wanted to own these grails and you, you, you wanted to put your money in. You look at that and contrast that with when you bought those cards and what they cost to what, where they are now. And it's, you can't even like it's it's really hard to justify paying for you know five six x eight x ten x in a lot of cases what these cards are going for now. So it just reaches a point where all of like not all of us have money growing on trees and not all of us are successful as Matt Turner. And so it, it causes us to either I think consolidate some of these pieces and I think it's really difficult in a lot of instances because we take pride and. We there's a there there's an a connection with those cards in our that we just never want to get rid of, and so it's hard for us to consolidate. But then also compare that with it's really hard for us to pay the prices of getting that next Luca, getting that uh, next Michael Jordan card that we just you know quite frankly we can't we can't afford, and so we then because we like to collect we decide to go find another lane, and so we're going to talk about that other lane, but. Before we do, I, I would love, since you're someone who has been talked about that, like how important is it to when you see something and there's a price and you like it and it's affordable, how important it is and, and you have passion around it to go all in and to make those purchases? And then also how, how, uh, how hard is it to kind of find that line when you're like, all right. I got to put my hands up. Like I'm out of this game. Like talk, I know you're going through that. Talk a little bit about that. Maybe from like the MJ and Luca lens. Yeah. I'm basically out on both of those guys after having collected them. And I, I don't mean I'm out. I, I love my collections of those guys, but I'm definitely out on buying new cards of, of either one to add to the collection, just because it has literally become cost prohibitive. It's now, Collecting those guys is a privilege that belongs to a higher income bracket than me. So I get to enjoy what I have. And, uh, but like, you know, I was looking at, um, there's a, a, there's two different copies of the 97, 98 Skybox um, Z Force Super Rave Jordan Parallel. It's a parallel to the subset, but the main set doesn't have this parallel. So it's the only Z-Force Michael Jordan card numbered to 50. And a Michael Jordan card numbered to 50 from the 90s is, is, the, is, is the equivalent of a prism gold of an active player. It's just an absolute grail level card. And, you know, these card, the, the last time this card sold um, was, a, was for around 30 grand about six months ago. I just thought to myself, like, you know, I, I work my butt off for every buck I've got. And am I really going to make moves, consolidate down, try to raise 30 or God, it might even take more 40 grand to get one of these cards. And then it's going to be the ninth best Michael Jordan card in my collection. You know, it just doesn't even the, the risk, the, the work versus the, what it adds to my collection factor just doesn't, it, it does not make sense because of my income bracket. So to me, I had to just check out of collecting those guys. And fortunately, I'm very happy with where the collections are. You know, there's you always have the chance to rearrange. You know, maybe you can't keep going up anymore. You can't keep adding more. But you can always swap one out for the other. You know, I could trade this card for this one or whatever. I don't want to, I don't want to trade anything. I really <laughs> love the way those two collections are are um are filled out. And they're both each 10 cards. Both of those collections are exactly 10 cards each. The MJ. Grail PC and the Luca Grail PC, ten cards each. That's good. I am not buying at these prices. Way too. High. I'm not selling at these prices because I love the cards, but I'm not buying at these prices. It's just, it's just too damn high. Like that guy who talked about the rent being too damn high. These prices are too damn high. So, and when do you know? I mean, you just, you just know because it, it hits you at a certain point when you're looking to add new pieces to the collection. You're just like, this is, this is not fun anymore. <laughs> I think that's, that's the point when you say like, ah, this just isn't fun. It's too stressful or it just financially it just isn't making sense. At that point, you just say, Hey, I'm going to default, you know, back to, I love the collection I've built and let me look somewhere else. Let me look somewhere else. And, you know, that process of looking somewhere else led me to 
a whole new um, philosophy of sports cards, which is this, which is I, I've been developing this over the last few months. I think every collector at some point in their career, it doesn't need to be today, doesn't need to be a year from now, but at some time while you're collecting, during your collector lifespan, you should take the opportunity to be the best collector in the world of a given player. Doesn't matter who the player is. Might be Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics. Might be Jonathan Taylor, the Indianapolis Colts. Might be a you know Gale Sayers or something. I, I'm sure you know his cards are not cheap, and he doesn't really have that many. But the point is, you know, pick a player who has a cool selection of cards, and that you know you are able to to if you wanted to become the best or one of the best collectors of that player in the world. You know, if you wanted to, his this like like Christina has Maxi Kleber. All right. He's like a sixth man for the Dallas Mavericks. You know, she picked up one of his two or three best cards, his flawless one of one rookie. She she got it for a couple hundred, I, I guess, 500 bucks. She probably overpaid dramatically. And we also bought like his 2020 Prism Black one of one for like 180 bucks. Uh, there is a player out there for everybody, no matter your budget, where you can get the, that player's absolute best card for three digits, a few hundred bucks. There's a player out there for everybody, but you have to humble yourself and say, you know, yeah, I'm willing to collect the guy who's the sixth man off the bench or, you know, yeah, I'm willing to do that. But, but when you do, you get, you get to buy cards. Like, like to me, it's completely unreasonable for me to think I could ever own a Luka Doncic Nebula Prism one of one. It's never happening. That ship has sailed so far, whether it was the rookie second year, third year, that ship has completely sailed. But we could get the Maxi Kleber one of one Prism Nebula from that same set. Okay. From, well, let's say from 2020 or something. And so that, you know, for me, I, that player that I selected, um, that I, that I said, I want to become one of the best collectors in the world of this player. And I think it's feasible for me to do that is Christian McCaffrey. So that, so I, I okay, I'll pause there. I don't know because this dovetails into the discussion about what it's been like to collect him now that he sustained a hamstring injury. So. Yeah. So I think you touched on a lot of points. I think a couple of them are like one having self-awareness of like when to get out. Um, and a lot of that is uh, to me, it's when, what I hear you say is like, okay, it's about the player, but it's also about the cards, right? Like you, you want, you want to be able to own the badass cards and knowing right now, like you've got 10 Lucas, great Lucas, really respectable Lucas, some of the best Lucas, but you want to continue to pursue cards that like light you up when you see it, cards that are rare and scarce. And you know, like you've tapped out, you've seen what, what the market's doing, you're involved, you've got what you, you want. But now, like you, you want to continue that like chase of, hey, I, I like to collect rare and scarce cards. Like these are what excites me. This is what gets me out of bed. So now that I know that I'm tapped out of the Luca market right now, based on my income level, like, let me go try to pursue and find another guy to collect. And maybe I can go have the best collection in the world of this player. And I think uh, that is something that there's a lot to that. And I think we could spend hours probably in and of itself talking about it, but Let's talk about the guy that you selected, which I think uh, you've been at it for a little while. Because I remember when you first started, and I, I thought to myself, "Man, like, you know, the, there's a lot of interest now with football cards, or if there was, there's always been interest with football cards, but the interest wasn't quite where it is now when you started picking up McCaffrey's." And I thought to myself, I was like, "Damn, like, I don't know any McCaffrey collectors, uh, and I'm really involved with football cards." And I know there's some out there, but I just don't know any, but like McCaffrey's like one of the most exciting players in the NFL. Yeah. He might not be a quarterback, but like he's going first or second or maybe third in everybody's fantasy leagues all over the country. So he's that guy, like when you're watching red zone every week, like if the Panthers are on, like everyone's sitting there waiting for McCaffrey to get the ball. So that I would imagine that like had something to do with like your intrigue and and wanting to pursue um, Christian McCaffrey. Now, on the flip side of it, and I think this will get into the topic, um, players like Christian McCaffrey sustain injuries. And a lot of people, I know I felt this with some of the guys that I collect, like guys who get injured, or some guys just aren't 
hobby guys. Like they're guys that don't show up in your Instagram feed. They're guys that aren't on people's top 10 or 20 lists. But like, to me, like there's something powerful there where yes, like McCaffrey is injured now. Although I did see a report, like it's going well, like hopefully be back on the field soon. But like the reaction of the hobby is like for a lot of cases is like, okay, it's like, what have you done for me lately? And I think what I want to talk about is just like having that like perspective of like, I'm collecting Christian McCaffrey. Like I'm not in it like for like a quick flip or in it for a one week thing. This is like a long-term basis. So maybe shed some light like on, okay, you're in McCaffrey. I guess first is some of what I said about like why you gravitated towards McCaffrey accurate. And then like two, like what has your mindset been as a collector of Christian McCaffrey trying to build the greatest Christian McCaffrey collection in the the world? What what is your reaction been when like, and what do you do when he goes off on the field, gets hurt on a primetime game and all of a sudden it's like, well, when is he going to be back? Yeah, no doubt. Um, uh, I'm going to answer all that. I'm going to throw one asterisk on the previous topic, which is just this too. This is for the investors because I did a lot of speaking to collectors. This I'm going to say something for the investors too. Um, over the last year, um, Tom Brady's cards increased in value on average, you know, per card, eightfold. And like, if you look at the card ladder index um, from a year ago till now, it's up 45 percent. So the index went up half a fold and Tom Brady cards went up eightfold, eight times, eight X. That's how much Tom Brady cards went up over the last year. And I'll tell you this too, Brett, I would bet almost anything on the fact that one year from now, there will be at least one player in the hobby, a high profile, important player who will be the guy who eight X's in between this day, 2021, and this day, 2022. There'll be another one. Maybe he's in hockey. Maybe he's in basketball. Maybe he's football. Maybe he's soccer. Maybe he's F1. I don't know. But he will exist, or, or she. That, that athlete will exist. So that's the other thing, too, is like <clears throat> there's, there's always pockets of opportunity. Always, always, always pockets of opportunity as well. So, you know, even if you have to step away from one collection or something because it's gotten too expensive or from one player, there, there's always a Tom Brady waiting in the wings who's just about to have his hobby moment. All right. So here, so let me, let me start the McCaffrey thing with an anecdote. All right. So like you said, I've been collecting and piling up McCaffrey's. I've got over 21 of ones now, four gold prisms, two NTRPAs, both gem cracked ice PSA 10, you know, of those one of ones, uh, three or uh, four of them are prism blacks, but I don't have the rookie base prism black optical vinyl rookie PSA 10. I drove to Shreveport, Louisiana to get that optic gold vinyl PSA 10 Christian McCaffrey while en route to the industry summit in Las Vegas, made a small detour from Northern Illinois to stop in Shreveport, Louisiana, just to pick up a card and do a deal at a local bank. And they were freaked out at what we were doing. The guy walks in with like this little, um, you know, what I, like the little Pelican case or whatever thing. He walks in, you know, after me and we sit down in the corner and I, and he's like, okay, you know, he told me beforehand he wanted the, 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 the cash bills to be counted in front of him and, and made sure that they're not counterfeit. So I was like, okay, we walk up to the teller together. I'm like, could you please certify that these are good clean bills of cash and that there is in fact the correct amount here. And so, you know, they're like, what is going on? This is the, and then they, they're, so all eyes are on us after that. And then like he hands me the, the little box and I open it and this little piece of plastic, a PSA slab comes out and I can only imagine what every, the employees at this place were thinking, like, what the hell is going on here in Shreveport, Louisiana? Okay. So this has all been going on before the season starts. The season gets going and look, this is one thing that NFL needs to get right because these licenses are, are expiring. And so I hope they fix this right now. You can only watch live out of market NFL games on direct TV. And we, I don't have direct TV. There is an online direct TV component, but for whatever reason, I'm not eligible for it at my address. So I cannot watch out of market games unless I change my cable provider over to direct TV, which I might have to do. So, but, but okay. So week one and week two go by, we're actually in Vegas for, for, for both of those. So like, but, but week three, it's a Thursday night game. The Panthers are on, 
national TV. I get everything ready, block off my schedule. I'm going to sit down and watch and enjoy my first of the season Christian McCaffrey game, not watching highlights, not watching replays, live in the moment action. And in the second quarter, he looks like he's doing a high step, like a Ladanian Tomlinson high step. But he comes, he's actually coming up limp. He pulled his hamstring in the second quarter of the finally. I'm just like, oh, this is this is really, I feel bad for him. Feel a little bit bad for myself. This is not. This is I thought of you right away, man. (laughs) He was having a great game coming into that game. He was the league leader in total yards from scrimmage. You know, uh, ESPN had forecasted before the season. He was a strong candidate for offensive MVP. Just everything's going right. The Panthers are two and zero. The defense is stout. Sam Darnold is really like looking like there's something going on there. He comes up limp second quarter with the hamstring he's in the tent for 20 minutes and I'm just preparing myself like well he might be out for the year again you know that might be happening or he's probably gonna be out for a while I'm looking up all the Twitter doctors you know seeing what Dr. Chow has to say seeing all these guys have to say and you know not it's not providing a lot of comfort but it just is what it is and so fortunately it was a tweak he's already day-to-day he was a game time decision last Sunday but they said no and and in his absence, the Panthers were three and zero with them. In his absence, throwing two, Sam Darnold threw one interception in the three games that he was playing with them. He's thrown five in the two games without him. And last year, there was an analysis performed like the swing or like how well the Panthers play with or without McCaffrey, and he's worth about six point four points. So you know he's basically worth the difference of the two games that they lost. So, you know, a healthy McCaffrey, you could be looking at a five and all Panthers. So it's, it's, it just adds, it just adds to the, the frustration of fandom that he's out. And, uh, you know, that's, that's like the, that's, that's, kind of, that's, it doesn't get much worse. You know, you've been preparing all preseason, picking up all these cards, finally the national game. And, you know, I, I had wanted to get into McCaffrey as well and specifically football because I wanted that extra incentive to care about the football season. And it definitely worked. You know, now I'm like super engaged in following all of the metrics for, for these NFL teams and stuff that I wouldn't have been following otherwise. And then it all just kind of hits that, that bottom, bottom moment um, where, you know, you know, but it could have been worse, right? It could, it definitely could have been worse. So he's, he, he probably will be back on the field this week. He'll only missed two weeks. But yeah, I, I hope that paints a picture of um, of what that experience can be like, you know, because it can happen. So, so it, let's let's like let's play hype, hy- or maybe we don't even need to play hypothetical. There's been enough time. So McCaffrey's out. Um, let's just say, from a hobby perspective, the perception is, oh, like damaged goods there's other guys let me go move on and like buy some of these other guys that are gonna this year do something special and prices go up that hobby reaction is is likely that what is you like with the injury based on this ridiculous McCaffrey PC you're building like what's what's your reaction like what do you do as a as a collector and someone passionate around this player you hope that you might be able to find some cards for cheap. <laughs> That's what you hope. You hope that there might be deals sprouting up, but it does not work that way. The way it works is when a player's hype is high, that's when people want to sell. When a player's hype is low, people say, eh, I'll hold off. But, you know, I had a great encounter with a kid who was about 16 or 17. Um, when we were coming back from Vegas, we drove through Kansas City. And we stopped at an LCS in Kansas City. And um, I asked, what McCaffrey cards do you guys have here? And the kid who was working there was like, well, you know, we have a couple. You know, here's some, some of his rookie base stuff. And it's all raw. And I'm like, oh, what do, do you have any high end? And he was like, well, he was like, we did have his Prism Blue PSA 10, which is a retail short print. I think there's, there's, a, there's a theory that there's only seven of them, I think. So I was like, oh, nice. Okay, that's a nice car. I was like, do you want to see a cool card? And he was like, yeah, yeah. So I went out to the car and I brought back the, the card I'd gotten from Shreveport going to Vegas. Okay, so coming back, we stopped at this shop in Kansas City. I'm like, oh, this kid likes Christian McCaffrey. And he has a, one of his best cards, a good card, the Prison Blue. So I bring in the little case 
And I'm like, guess what's inside? And he's like, oh, National Treasures, RPA. And I was like, nope. I open it up. It's the Optic Gold Vinyl 1 of 1 Rookie PSA 10. And he's just like, wow. You know, he's like, can I take a picture of this for my Instagram and stuff? I was like, yeah, go for it. You know, have fun. Knock yourself out. And, it, and in that moment, I was like, hey, there might be a little nostalgia for this player. There might be a little something extra to this player that, that goes beyond, you know, the day-to-day stock market component of what's he doing? What has he done for me lately? There might be, there might be a little something extra to this player. He is a unique, special player. And so when you have little moments like that, where you connect with another collector or somebody else who also likes the player that you collect, it can give you a lot of confidence and it can make you feel pretty good about that player. So having that moment kind of, you know, sees me through the fact that it's utterly disappointing that in, I think, I guess this is McCaffrey's fifth season that, you know, he's, he's going to have a, a slightly extended absence. And, you know, McCaffrey is two and a half years younger than Derrick Henry. I know, you know, his prime years are nowhere close to being over with, but it's still, you know, he, there's a lot left to add to his legacy. I mean, um, and, 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 and a player needs to be healthy for that. And there's only so much you can control. So like when Peter, this is, I, I love this line when Peter Schrager, I think that's his name was on the Bill Simmons podcast. He says, Christian McCaffrey is a guy you would never recognize if you saw him in public, um, but he's this statistical super freak who everybody drafts first every year in fantasy football. He goes, he's like Mike Trout. He's the Mike Trout of football. And I love that line. I just, when I gravitate to that, because it's a great way to articulate why I like McCaffrey so much. You know, he's, he's under the radar. He could be in the LCS, you know, right alongside everybody else. And maybe some people recognize him, most probably wouldn't. But he's one of the best football players in the world. You know, it's just it's a really sweet spot to be where he's very easy to root for. He's super humble and low key. And and he's going to do things that are incredible. He's just going to do things that are absolutely remarkable. But I don't have to compete. You know, I don't have to like log on to PWCC Premier and see that his NT hollow gold went for a million dollars and just say, why am I even following this? This isn't for me. This isn't applicable to me. I found somebody who is applicable to me. It's it's a reasonable price. You know, other people can see what I see too, but there's never going to be a hype train surrounding it. You're, he's never going to be the talk, the Monday morning, after a slate of Sunday games, he's never going to be, you know, is it Josh Allen or Christian McCaffrey? You know, that's never going to happen, right? So he's always just going to occupy this this lane that's that's comfortable. And I, I kind of like niche things too. You know, I don't I don't want the super mainstream thing. I want that niche thing that I know about you know, that that's kind of unique to me and that will always be. Yeah, no, I love it. And there's, there's, uh, I share in a lot of what you say in my collecting and it being niche and that story you, you told about the t- bringing the card in and sharing it. Like that does give, give you, give you some sort of confidence. And I think like, I pair that with like probably my biggest takeaway from your conversation with that was like, it's every, every 25 years, like, so every 25 years is like that moment where you start to see trends and things go up. And I think about that in a player like Christian McCaffrey. And it's like, you know, if, if a player like if, if there are enough people that through maybe fantasy football or who's maybe someone who enjoyed him at Stanford or someone who's just a Panthers fan, uh, they he touched enough of their hearts and minds and they love collecting him. Um, that maybe, you know, and they want to hold their cards because they, they believe in him and uh, he's a special player to them. Then maybe in 25 years, there's enough other people who are saying, you know what, like that Christian McCaffrey guy, man, he was awesome. I remember this game that he played uh, against the saints and, you know, you know, running for, you know, three, three touchdowns and, and, you know, helping the Panthers win the game. Like then you on the other side of it, as someone who's a collector, might be rewarded 25 years down the road. So I took that like 25 years uh, remark that Nat said, and I was like, you know what? Like there is actually like some substance and validity to that as I'm a Peyton Manning collector and Peyton's, you know, I'm looking at the, you know, 98 rookie and like, okay, like trying to like map out the time. I'm like, now I'm seeing like more interest than ever in this guy. So like, that was something I never really thought about, but like Nat, Nat said it. And I think no matter the avenue you go down, like if you have passion for it, like there's chance other people do too. And you might not like the, their cards might not go up over a year, two years, three years. But like, if you hold them for a long time, you know, when new participants come in the hobby or people come back into the hobby, maybe they want those cards and you're the one holding them all. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, they're, 
Grant Hill, Penny Hardaway, you know, guys, great athletes of the 90s who are very collectible because we children of the 90s have nostalgia for them and for those moments in, in sports card history. And that's why, like, I'm not so bearish on the future prospects of the Justin Herberts, the Patrick Mahomes, the Trey Youngs of the world, the Zion Williamsons. They, oh, you know, maybe these guys, maybe none of them become top 10 of all time. Is Honus Wagner the greatest baseball player of all time? No, but he has the most valuable baseball card of all time. There's something more to the hobby. that The hobby is not as simple as tell me the 10 best players and I'll tell you the 10 most valuable uh, player markets. It does not work that way. There's nostalgia, there's connection, there's culture, there's moments, there's history. That's why I'm not, I'm not quite as bearish as others. Like, oh, Trey Young, you know, He'll, he'll, he's going to, you know, unless he becomes the next Steph Curry, he's going to zero. No, I don't see it that way. I, I think Trey Young, there's going to be a ton of nostalgia for those, for these type of guys that's going to carry collecting interest in them going forward. So I, I think you really hit the nail on the head there. And, and it is funny to think about Peyton Manning too, coming up on, uh, I guess in two years, we'll hit um, the 25 year mark on his rookie card. So pretty cool. No doubt about it. All right, let's hit some other ones before uh, we wrap up this conversation. Um, I talked about this on the Wednesday show that will have dropped. Um, there was definitely a controversial topic that came up in the hobby this past week involving um, an individual a, who was tra- who had got caught, and there's evidence, uh, tracing autographs. And this opened up this conversation and thread about a long history of this individual um, taking advantage of other people in the hobby. And I think my take has always been like, everyone has the right to do the hobby like they want to do this, they, that they want to do it, and we should all support that. However, if it's taking advantage of other people uh, for monetary gains, committing fraud, that's when I think we as uh, a collective should stand up and say something about it and make notice of it to protect other individuals from being impacted by that. Now, what I saw in a 24-hour period in the hobby is unlike, I think, anything I had seen in a long time where uh, card porn, well, let's start here. Kyle from Wax Museum put out, um, you know, you know the there's a car, Kawhi Leonard NTRPA on Golden Auctions, Kyle RPA Tracker. Kyle's great. I tell everyone to go listen to his show because it provides a ton of value. His RPA tracker provides a ton of value. Kyle posted, you know, the pictures and then card porn got a hold of it. And card porn did what card porn does and, and used card porn's platform to be a hobby watchdog and to try to get evidence, gain facts. And for my take on card porn, whether you like card porn or not, Card porn, when card porn posts about something, it's usually uh, done, a lot of due diligence has been done ahead of time, which I think uh, card porn has built the reputation there, whether you like what card porn is doing or not. In this instance, certainly, I think is very good thing of the hobby, but you have Kyle, then you have card porn, then you have Ken Golden in the comments saying, hey, uh, and I, I'm sure I'm like you and everyone else in the hobby is reading every damn comment in there and ken's like hey man like like i i talked to psa like i can't send this card to psa to market is altered like i need your permission and then silence we go you know account goes uh private deletes the comment which or deletes his comment which deletes the thread and all of a sudden like you know plan uh trying to trying to dm people trying to uh justify what what the reason is. However, we never got anything. So I don't necessarily want to spend a lot of time talking about the individual who's taking advantage of others in the hobby. But what I do want to talk about um, is just the, the, the power of the collective to put this individual on blast and tell everyone in a very, very quick way, don't work with this individual. Here's the track history. Um, and here's what they've done. To me, that was the story. The story wasn't about the individual committing, you know, scams, frauds, whatever. The, the story was about the collect, collect us self-regulating the hobby. Platforms like Ken, platforms like Kyle's, 
platforms like card porn coming together and saying, Hey, this is how we do things in the hobby. And this is certainly not one of those things. I know you touched on it a little bit on the crossover, but just like maybe speak to like the hobby coming together and uniting around doing good. Yeah, it's a great recap of what happened. I'm going to go back to incentives aligning again, you know, Kyle's incentive, because uh, the Wax Museum podcast and the House of Jordans podcast, which was the, the podcast I did up until like May of 2020, but we both started in the winter of 2018. And so we kind of both uh, established our content platforms in sync. And I know Kyle's motivated very strongly by the truth, by conveying facts and history to people in ways that preserve the best parts as he sees it of the hobby. And he really cares deeply about preserving and protecting the good actors and in creating all the tools like such as RPA tracker to identify the bad ones. So Kyle has this strong motivation, a strong incentive based on the relationship he has with his audience, just based on who he is and what what activates him that he really, you know, cares about identifying and calling out when somebody is doing something wrong. Then you have card porn and their incentive very simply is what is going to get the most likes and what's going to get the most clicks and the most engagement and the most content. And guess what? That happens to line up with a community of people who are, many of them are just like Kyle. Or, you know, on the spectrum of like total scam artists to like angels, they're much closer to angel. <laughs> okay. And I would put Kyle at the very far end. Um, there, some of the deeds that he does are just angelic for this hobby. And so this community, you know, so Cardporn puts this information out there and the community rallies around it because it's, it's on the one hand, you know, it, it activates a lot of people's sense of justice when something bad is being done, uh, but, you know, but also, you know, it's just, there's an energy around it. There's a drama around it. It's just, it's engaging, highly engaging content. So then, so that, that, and the card porn part of this equation is new, you know, uh, previously in the Instagram world, these types of shenanigans would be dealt with quietly and privately, but now there's this new entity in the space that, that wants these moments. Not that they want bad things to happen to people, but that when these moments exist, they want to be able to capture the moment and, and convert it into engagements and into content. Okay, so they have converted. So that incentive aligns quite nicely. And it's because of how the community works. The community is going to feed into that content and want to solve it proactively. And then, you know, finally, the final incentive piece is the community piece wanting the community has an incentive to, to want to resolve it. So that there's, so that this doesn't happen. So that, like for example, you know, I don't think we mentioned this one, but 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 one of the other forms of fraud that is alleged and that the evidence seems like it very likely happened was that this guy was doing trades with people, and then when the the other the end of the trade sent the card to him, he would receive the package, and then he would say he didn't get it. And then he would then months later post the exact card that he claimed that he never received. He would post it to his Instagram page. So, and just, and, and maybe like whiting out the serial number or something. But there's one case involving a Brady SP, the, the Brady PSA 10 out of 1250 card that um, a, a Canadian collector, and this is where we have to like give Michael Rubin something, because this is brutal. <laughs> this, this is a brutal <laughs> part of the hobby that could be improved, right? This Canadian collector set up a trade to send this Brady down to America to this guy, this this scam artist, and then alleged scam artist. And then the, the scam artist was supposed to send him back a Kawhi NTRPA. Well, the guy received the Brady, and then he said he never got it, and so he never sent the Kawhi. And this guy just lost a card that current market value is around $120,000. And this guy's in Canada. What, either, he just feels helpless up there. There's not a lot he can do. It got lost in the mail. I don't know if he filed an insurance claim or something. I don't know. I don't know what there was. I don't know all the details, but that, so that was happening. And this, and like I said, this is, this is where um, there is some, there is room for improvements, right? They're like, 
And this is where, but, but entrepreneurs are stepping up to fill that role, like, like vaulting with PWCC or with Golden. You know, when you have a vault, you've got a neutral intermediary. You can send the card to the vault. The other guy can send it there too. There's also like, um, there's services that, that act as middlemen as well. Um, you know, ship my cards is one of them. Like there's, there's the hobby is stepping up to solve it, but yeah, it, it, the, the community did rally around. They did solve it. They did cheer that it was solved. Um, and there may be more bad acts to uncover. And that, and oftentimes there's more than meets the eye in a lot of these situations. So, you know, it's, it's always unfortunate and brutal uh, <laughs> to use Michael Rubin's word when, when stuff like that happens. So yeah, man, I don't know. It's, I, I think there is a happy ending that's on the horizon here. Like, for example, the guy who sent the Brady down, he's, he got his card back because the lid got blown off of this whole thing. He got his Brady back. <laughs> that's, that's in the works right now. Um, and the scam artist, alleged scam artist, uh, he, uh, he actually shipped the card back to him. So somebody needs to tell this guy uh, it's probably time to get a criminal defense attorney. That's not legal advice. Uh, and I am not a lawyer, although I did graduate law school. All I'm saying is it's probably time to get a lawyer because doing stuff like that could be interpreted as um, admission of the fact that he stole that card <laughs> if he's if he's sending it back to the guy. Uh, so it's just a mess, man. But but the community, I think, definitely gets some points for sorting this one. Absolutely. And if you're not part of the Instagram community, I touch on uh, the individual in his name and the account that he's been running. Um, So go back and listen to the the Wednesday episode from this week to get more of those details. I'm glad we decided not to shine further light on the individual. Um, But I think uh, that's a great punctuation point and a great way to think about what potentially um, fanatics could help improve. We, we covered a lot of ground, Chris. There's so, there's so much more as always. Um, maybe like before we get out of here, just like hit someone with, uh, uh, you're, you guys are constantly doing great stuff at card ladder, new, new things. Uh, what's, what's like on the horizon? Like, what do you, what's something that excites you that you guys are releasing or working on? Oh man. Good question. We have a feature waiting in the wings that, uh, is our, will be our biggest, most impactful feature we've ever done. And it's, it solves a huge problem that exists right now, but it's just waiting in the wings because we need to dot some I's and cross some T's. Uh, we've been working on it ever since we finished up the card ladder value and the player index stuff. Like this is what we've been working on. And, um, you know, ho- hopefully sooner than later, you know, we'll be able to push this thing out. It's, it's very brutal. <laughs> brutal not being able to talk about it well, well hey listen go just t- here you go tune into the crossover because odds are that's probably where you're gonna t- share more information am i accurate there yeah, you're accurate in that and also you know um i just want to say thanks to you brett for um you know you're always referencing us and in, in your content and you're you're just you're you're such a great content creator man and I, you said earlier in the show at the very beginning is you're coming up on two years isn't that crazy isn't that it's, crazy? I remember when I first encountered you it was on Twitter. Um, I I just remember it, and uh, man, two years, man. Yeah, it's it's been a wild ride, but it's it's always. Um, I I mentioned this, and I we talked about it last week, but with John Newman from Sports Card Nation, it's really about the people, and the hobby is the people, and it's just getting to know you and other individuals to sit here for an hour and talk about cards and what's going on in the hobby. And, uh, while, while I've got, you know, a baby who's got a poopy diaper that I know I got to probably go change. It's a nice escape. So, uh, everyone go check out what, uh, card ladders doing as always. It's a product I certainly believe in and makes me a better informed, uh, uh, hobbyist. So Chris, appreciate what you're doing. Thanks so much. You'll be back on soon and we'll chop up some more of these topics. Thank you for having me, bud. Anytime I have a conversation with Chris, I always leave it thinking a little bit different about the hobby, chewing on something in a different way, and I love that. I think we should all push to have conversations with people that get us to think differently. Hope you enjoyed this one. Go check out what they're doing at Card Ladder. If you're not using it already, go check it out. I think it's a platform and a product that makes my life better in the hobby. Hopefully, it'll make yours better too. 
take care of yourself, take care of others around you. I'll be back. More stagging slaps next week.